0: Block Talk Radio. I got
1: my mind made up. Ain't nothing going energy, is because I feed off the power of faith, optimism, and positivity, and in case you didn't know it, the fun has started, and all efforts to maintain it cannot be done half-hearted. Now recognize, they say time flies when you're having fun, but I say, the more time you got for fun, the less time flies. The sun is rising, the birds are starting to sing, the flowers are blossoming. Oh, something great is happening, and I'm feeling good. I my mind made up, ain't nothing gonna stop me from feeling this way. I'm feeling, uh, ain't nothing going with a good thing, and I'm making history on this thing. I'm feeling good, uh, and I've with so much now that I learn to appreciate. am feeling good. Uh, But the reason for this smile on my face And why I appreciate every breath Is because I'm surrounded by a lot of love and respect Plus I realize the more we appreciate The more we get back And that's not theory, it's fact But you want to know the real reason Why I'm just grinning and cheesing It's simply because I'm still breathing, the sun is rising, the birds are starting to sing, the flowers are blossoming, oh, something great is happening, and I'm feeling good, I got my mind made up, ain't nothing gonna stop me from feeling this way, I'm feeling good, ain't nothing wrong with a good thing, and I'm making history on this day, I'm feeling good, i have been born with so much now that I've learned to appreciate, and I'm feeling good, I'm day to be alive with this life, never felt so great, I'm But the real reason I'm excited is because I recognize negativity and know exactly how to fight it. Plus, it's by my conscience in which I am guided. I am way too blessed to be stressed. For me, nothing is impossible. I am too reluctant to succumb to the pressures of worldly obstacles. The sun is rising, the birds are starting to sing The flowers are blossoming, oh Something great is happening And I'm feeling good, my mind made up Ain't nothing gonna stop me from feeling this way I'm feeling good, ain't nothing wrong with a good thing And I'm making history on this day I'm feeling good, I've been born with so much now that I've learned to appreciate And I'm feeling good, a great day to be alive with this, life never felt so great I'm good. Good. Oh, I'm feeling good, Oh, you're feeling good, good. Oh, I'm, feeling good. 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 Oh, I'm feeling good. Good.
0: good,
2: good. Generations. It is the generation before this generation of madness that is mad, a legacy of insanity gifted to the children of the insane. No passing of discipline or traditions, but rites of guilt, pain, and plagues, a torture sadness passes. It is the generation of sunshine that has left us sightless, as the children of the blind lead us toward the millennium of darkness. The generation of choice has left us no choices. As our world turns and we devour ourselves, we stare into the eyes of our children a brilliant reflection of our image, and we blame them for what we see Hey. You're listening to the premiere show for the book, Black America, Asking Ourselves the Tough Questions 2010. I'm the author, Sonia Cassandra Perdue. Thank you for joining us, and we hope that you enjoy being part of this dialogue with Black America as we travel the country asking the tough questions. Our call-in number is 347-326-9477. Our call-in number is 347-326-9477. You can listen to us live at www.blogtalkradio.com slash cbbn. The poem Generations that was read in the start of the show can be found in the beginning of the book. I wrote that poem probably in the mid-90s. I remember standing in a line in a post office uh, off of 79th and 12th in Chicago, and the folks were you know, chatting as they waited in this long line, and they were bad-mouthing the young people. And at that point, I simply reminded them that it's the generation before this generation that is mad. And what we see is the result of that. And I then I went home and I wrote the poem, Generations. So it's one of my favorites, and it's an oldie but goodie, as they say. Now let's take a few minutes before we get into the tough questions to talk about the purpose of the book and how it came about. Now, like many of you, uh, I've always thought myself um, – I always thought of myself as being a halfway decent writer and knew eventually one day that i sit still long enough to write a book and publish a book. And there's a big difference between the writing and the publishing part. Believe me, those are two different things. But maybe on some upcoming shows, uh, we can talk about the, the techniques uh, and the process for writing and for publishing and for marketing, which is another aspect. And although – I always envisioned myself as a writer. I did not envision this book or this concept, never. Just to give you a little background on the book and how it came about, one morning in 2009, after some contemplation about my life, you know, you had these talks with yourself and some good old soul searching, which we need time to time, probably almost every day, I got uh, together from my desk, still had my bathrobe on, and I, I took a yellow pad and a pen and I headed downstairs, to sort out my life and to think and ask myself some tough questions. Well, somewhere between the bedroom and the dining room, something changed. Totally. And I sit down at the dining room table and I wrote the concept for this book and the first question. And the first question, which you will hear today, is almost exactly as you see it in the book. It was not planned, it was never planned. When I thought about writing a book like most of us, I think think about putting my poems in a book, writing stories, all those hundreds of stories you have laying around, writing a novel. that's how we picture it. So I just sit down and I start writing and writing and, and there there would have been no stopping me if at some point I did not tell myself that I would stop at a hundred questions if I didn't say that. There will probably have been a thousand questions, and eventually there they well may be. I didn't hesitate. I didn't pause. I didn't leave the seat until I had written this book and brought forth the conception of how it will be presented and what you will see now. And that's how I was done. I sat to that day, and I wrote this book. The questions are in the order that they flow forth from me to you. Some questions were added, some were eliminated, but they still in the same order, except for the last question, which was not my last thought in the process, but just how I chose to end this session. And for those of you who are just tuning in, you're listening to the tough questions, and I'm in the office on so Yukon for Purdue, I'll call the numbers 347-3269477. You can preview the first tough question in our blog section on blogtalkradio.com slash CBBN. You can also go to our blog sec- section in, at uh, Chicago's BlackBusinessNetwork.com, and you can answer the questions there. This is what we're going to do today. First, we're going to tell you a little bit about the book, Black America, Asking Ourselves the Tough Questions. Book 1, 2010, and then we're going to take a break, and I'll play a recording of the first tough questions uh, tough questions for our listeners. But once again, you can preview the first tough question on our blog talk page right here at blogtalkradio.com slash CBBN. You can also listen to the show from the site if you don't want to listen to the show uh, from your telephone. Now, just a brief summation about this book and what it's about. Asking Ourselves the Tough Questions, Book 1, 2010, is a formalized five-part Q&A session that began and was published July 2010, and this book is the first book in the series. The last publication will be 2014. There will be five books in this series. This series will challenge black America to collectively engage in a dialogue that will initiate solutions to our collective concerns and issues. That is my hope that by formalizing the process, uh, that we can come to some structured answers to our questions. Armed with the knowledge that we are without limitations, in spirit or in mind, we march forward together to fulfill the hopes and dreams of our people. My vision for the 2014 publication will be the fifth book, Black America, Our Questions Answered. Black America, Asking Ourselves for Tough Questions, Book 1, 2010. It's for family dinners. Those bus rides to Work, Class and Group Study. It's a great book for group study. Book Club Discussions, Mornings in the Neighborhood Coffee Shops. Uh, can you picture taking off the book and throwing some of those questions out there? You, you've been in the coffee shop with all those old boys sitting around, and it's for those private moments. This is not a test. In the book, there is space for you to write your own personal answers if you choose to, but this is not a test. It is an experience. It is a process. This radio broadcast will be accompanied with a TV show where we will travel the country and ask you, Black America, the tough questions. Once again, you're listening to the premier show of the tough questions. I'm the author of Black America, Asking Ourselves the Tough Questions. I'm Sonia Perdue. Our caller number is 347-326-9477 and you can listen to us at blogtalkradio.com slash CBBN. Let's go to a break and we will share the first question with you and give you a few rules for answering the tough questions and, uh, what we'll do is, uh, take a call and then we'll come back and talk a little bit more uh, about what's going on with the uh, tough questions. I want to thank you so much for joining us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, and you're listening to the preview sh- premiere show of the Tough Questions. I'm the author of Black America, Asking Ourselves the Tough Questions. I'm Sungye Perdue. Our call-in number is 347-326-9477. You can listen to us live at blogtalkradio.com slash CBBM. I want to play the first tough question for you, and then I want to go to the phone lines. We'll be right back. Tough question number one imagine that you are a black man and the year is 1955 you're walking down the street in a community known as Bridgeport in Chicago and four white men pull up beside you in a Chevy are you afraid imagine the year is 1964 and you are a young black man driving down a dark road on your way to Meridian Mississippi with two Jewish associates When you see the bright lights of a car in your rearview mirror then you see a flashing red light and know that it is a police vehicle do you feel safe or are you forever regretful imagine as a black man in the year 2010 you're driving through Chicago's Inglewood community and you quite appropriately stop at a stop sign before you can pull off four black men pull up next to your car are you scared where do you as a black American feel safe? Where do you feel threatened? Why are we still afraid? Haven't we been afraid long enough? And that was the first tough question out of black America asking ourselves the tough questions. We do have a caller on the line. Caller from area code 773, uh, last four digits, 5432. Welcome to the show.
3: Hey, Sonia. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm okay. How are you? Uh, congratulations good. on the book. Congratulations on the show, and really congratulations on taking it on the road. I'm really hoping so. This is just step one, Hussein, and I, I do appreciate you calling in.
2: This is just step one. So, Hussein, let's start with you. Can you answer the tough question?
3: Uh, I would always hope I can answer the tough questions, but the. But it's not the answering to the tough questions; it's the problem. It's dealing with the answers that you find once you answer the tough questions. The well, answers
2: that you find once you answer the tough questions. Explain that a little bit more to me, Hussein.
3: Um, if you the answers that you come up with, whether it's these questions, or any other tough questions, uh, if you dredge up enough truth in them, you have to deal with that truth. And you may not like what it says about human beings, or and or about yourself, if you're really truly honest. But then that's a whole other thing. I can the average person be that honest? Well, let's well let's talk about the tough question because that's what we want to talk about.
2: Where do you feel safe in America?
3: No, You shouldn't feel safe in America. Period. You and why that? is that? Because America is an really? unsafe place. Really? Yes, <laughs> yes, ma'am. You don't know that. Yet. I, I know. Maybe you don't read the newspaper. Look at look at online questionings. That's probably one of the most dangerous countries in the in the world. So it's only and that that's the whole thing. And that's what I'm talking about. When you deal with the real answers that you get from answering the tough questions, it's only an illusion. Okay. We are deluding ourselves that we are safe anywhere, any place, at any time. We put these boxes and we and we put these scales on. you an example. I was on my way to work on a beautiful September day nine years ago, September 11, 2001. Did I have any inclination of what would happen that day? These people who went to work in New York, and Pentagon, do you think for a minute, at the Pentagon, do you think for a minute they thought their lives were going to be in danger? That they would die? I don't think so. So the average person would say I don't life, think so either. So I well, like I guess if they is. had
1: been forewarned. war, they,
3: they would have,
2: no, I don't think they would have been at work. So if you look at those three scenarios, Uh, and we could go back further. I guess we could go back to the beginning of time. But if you look at those three scenarios, there were three different years there,
0: 1955,
2: Mm
3: -hmm. 1963
2: in uh, in Mississippi, and 2010.
3: Uh And the difference is, is that our sane, rational person would be on guard in each one of those scenarios but is, is there any difference uh, yeah there's a difference uh in scenario number one you got a good chance of getting your butt beat in scenario number two you got a good chance of getting arrested and or your butt beat in scenario number three unfortunately you have a chance to be dead Okay, well,
2: actually, in scenario number one, you still had that chance of being dead, and it's—it and is strange to think that uh, I, don't, I read I, I, a question. I don't—I
3: don't—I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember anybody, any black man being beaten to death in Bridgeport. I it's could be wrong. It's strange that. I, but you could—you could look that up. I don't think so. Was I, 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 in the hospital, most definitely dead. I doubt it. I mean, close to dead, yeah. Um, yeah. But th- but the thing is, well, is that, and, the, and the sad part about this is, is that in scenario number three, you know, at least this is just my opinion, uh, you could possibly be dead at the hands of somebody that looks like you. And this is true. In scenario number two,
2: which is 1963, there was a black man and two Jewish associates coming from a civil rights meeting, and they were beat to death. Yeah, I
3: know all too And well.
2: uh, so that that is a true scenario. And in the third scenario it is absolutely has happened repeatedly, obviously. So and actually yeah,
3: to but, but, but in serial number two though, the people who uh beat those people to death were African Americans.
0: No less horrible, um, if not no. more so. No, no less horrible. No, you trying I, I,
3: to say I, that there? I, I disagree. And I, I, I disagree. See uh, okay, but I'll, but okay. I'm gonna love because I'm, I'm gonna get to ask you a question that my mother used to always ask me. Uh, when was the last time you were a black man?
2: When was the last time I was a black man? hmm Not not in
3: this lifetime. There you go. See, I used to always say things about, you know, about being a black woman. And her response to me was, well, when was the last time you were a black woman? And? Well, never, not in this life. I like can't, that. I can't, no, not in this life But well, there you that go. mean you can have? No, you can. You can, you know, you can. You can okay. have an opinion, you can have an opinion on it, but it's not going to be the same opinion as someone of that class is going to have. It's not possible. It's not even possible for you to feel the exact same things that a member of that particular class is going to feel. And that's a valid point. It would stymie me every single time she did it to me because it's a valid point.
2: It's not possible it's, for me to feel exactly the same thing, but it's possible for me to be able to relate to those experiences just as
0: in the top question. But it's, but I, it's not
2: but it's I. same. Uh, i have a I was not beaten Bridgeport, but I can relate to those experiences but i I'm, I'm going to say this, and uh you listen to Black America asking ourselves the tough questions now i I read that question to about four or five people so far, and of course, because we are individuals, all the responses are differently and very different from yours now the other the last two questions because they were all around the same age group that we are, or maybe a little older, the people that I asked. Mm -hmm. They all went back to the question about Bridgeport and their experience about being in Bridgeport, probably in the 50s because they're in that age group. And they had stories about being attacked, being chased, or almost being attacked in Bridgeport. Uh, they could, they understood where the the second scenario was coming from. They, they read the history on that. They know that those young men were killed and buried and, you know, brutally beaten and buried down there in Mississippi Mm -hmm. and no one was brought to justice. I think a few years ago they brought someone who was like 900 up for charges on it. Mm -hmm. But, um, and of course the 2010, um, is Well, it's current, so everyone can relate and they understand the meaning of that question, uh, of that scenario. But none of them said that they did not feel safe anywhere in America. As a matter of fact, uh, I read that question to the sex preacher whose song I just played, Hello, and and I asked him, was he afraid in Inglewood? He said, never. He said, never afraid among my people. So – it's 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 a different experience, but he had a story too, and I hope that I get an opportunity for him to call in one day and, and relate that uh, about his experience in in, in uh, Bridgeport. And it's strange when he was telling that story about Bridgeport. I'm not sure if it was like five or ten of them that were involved in that and were being chased, but I'd heard that story before, and I hadn't heard it from him, so. The person that I heard it from was part of that group that was being chased, uh, but I think but but, but the, Sonia, the you you're, you're,
3: missing, you're missing a really important point. I think and is. what
2: point is that? The point me? is this: in
3: 1955, in the first scenario, right? there was a good possibility that you weren't going to be killed by one of your own. So. You have a probably – now, I'll switch it because, you know, I have been an internet talk show host for years myself, so you know i got to do my own little thing. But, let me, but I'll put something on your mind right quick. It's 2010, right? Let's flip, let's flip the, the scenario around. I'd say mathematically, percentage-wise, a black man would have a better chance of going through Bridgeport with a white woman at midnight, statistically, and being alive, is than he would. You know where I'm going on the south side, the west side of Chicago, minding your own darn business. Okay, and that's the sad part. Now we could. Why is that? That's because that's. gotta keep it real, sister. That's that's the truth. And if anybody wants to look that up, look it up.
2: Minus the white woman, okay. Minus the
3: white woman. <laughs>
2: Where does your head go? But that's that's the whole purpose. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I keep it real, Sonya. That's, that's what I do. I
2: had to. I just had to laugh on that one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> ah, ah.
2: Okay. You listen to Black America asking ourselves the tough question: Who's sitting here? Uh, I want to thank you for calling in. Uh, this is my first show, the first show, you know, they're a little bit tough. I don't have any other calls on the line right now. It's going to be a short show. But I wanted to do the setup. I wanted to uh, get the question out there, start to get the information out there. And I want to know. I want people to actually, you know, I want to find out, do you feel safe? Where do you feel safe? Uh, I don't feel insecure walking across the street i'm on 35th and king drive right now walking across the street through lake
3: meadows but there are people who do um and I, I don't get me wrong i mean on a, on a consistent and daily basis no but you I, in the world we live in not whether it's bronzeville or anywhere else you have to be a little bit more on guard than you would have had to have been, regardless of your race, creed, gender. Well, there's only one race, human human race. Regardless of your creed, gender, sexual preference. And if you're not, then you're just not being, well, you're either very religious or you're just in denial. Okay. Do you think in 1955 that, because that
2: fear was there, and that fear was real, that maybe they should have not been going over to Bridgeport if they felt unsafe, or to go in. I mean, they didn't live there. I mean, we did not live there. Uh,
3: I'm glad you mentioned what, that. There's, what were we? What
2: were we? What were, what were we doing over there? Why, why were an we but there? I, because,
3: because I got an answer for you, and it is not 1955, but 1985. And I had friends who worked at a, a fish place in Bridgeport. There were two African-American friends of mine, and uh, they closed at 11 or 12 o'clock, and uh, I don't know, but maybe the car wasn't working that day or whatever, but they were walking, and they got chased. So this is 30 years later. They were chased by whom? White people.
2: Okay. I understand perfectly. I understand perfectly. But let, let me let me ask that question again. Because we did not live in that area
3: mm-hmm.
2: and there were repeated incidents mm-hmm. and the, and and being in that area could possibly
3: have been a threat
2: to our safety, should we have been going over there? What were we doing over there?
3: Uh, well, these casual people were working on a legitimate job for low pay, just trying to keep, you
2: know. No, I'm going back to 1955, 1955. We worked there, and we weren't working there, maybe in low, very, very, very low numbers. Why would we be in an area, and why would we put ourselves in a position
3: where we were not safe or afraid? I got, I got two things to spin that around. One, um, not just as a group, but me personally. I've had members of, of my family in the service of the military from Civil War to the present. And as far as I'm concerned, because of that, I have the right to go anywhere I want to, anytime I want to, with a white woman or not. Okay. So they felt that what you're saying, they felt it to be their right. It is their right.
0: Okay. All there's right. no
3: law. The, there's no law in the books that says we can't go. We can't go anywhere. Not even. Not even in 1955. Well, we just said that there were laws in the books down south that we couldn't go to certain uh, water fountains, et cetera. But at least on the north, I can't think of any rule that there was that you couldn't cross into bridge for. You did so at your own peril, but it wasn't against the law.
2: But if it was a threat to your safety,
3: what would be I'm the purpose? I, I, and I'm glad you said that because I, now I can spin it around into uh, 2010 and ask you this question. If it's a threat to your safety to live in the hood, then why do we do it?
2: That's a tough question we have to answer. And I have to say it before me. I'm not supposed to answer the tough questions. But uh, I can't avoid it because you know I'll never be able to keep my mouth shut. Because (laughs) you listen to black America asking ourselves the tough questions, 2010. By myself, Sonya Purdue. And one of my, one of my rules, which I, I can, I can sell it now. I can sell it now. I'll break it. That I don't answer the tough questions.
3: So this is not about what I think. It's not, it's not about. Well, what I, I think. Then, then I'll put, people. then I'll, then I'll put that out. I'll put that out to, in the universe. I'll put that out to the people who are listening. I'll put that out to the people who call after me. And that is, is that, okay. that's my, if, if, if if your question is why we would do something that would endanger us, in the cities, why are we doing it in 2010? Because we surely are doing it. Myself included.
2: Now, as far as the, uh, the Bridgeport story, I tell this little story sometime about my grandmother. And I was very, very young and I don't remember really how old I was. Um, uh, because we don't really remember when we start recognizing race and skin color. Uh, Starts creeping up on us, and one day we do.
3: Uh, but uh, I know that uh, 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 sh- Sonia, Sonia, I, I think it's different for you, my sister. That's not true for me. Um, <laughs> now, I personally didn't think didn't care about race and skin color. But when I was in, uh, seven years old, and I moved over to well, actually, it was it the first time. Yeah, it, it was it was it was even before. Well, at the same time, I moved over um, to where I used to live. I went to uh, a YMCA camp, and I had uh, a young boy come up and tell me that I couldn't drink out of that water fountain, you N-word. So um, even though I was trying to be oblivious to the concept of race, I know all the white people live right next door to me, in the Gleams, Uh, And I didn't care about them. they didn't care because all I thought of them was they were human beings and nice people. And I played with them, and they played with me, and that's all I cared about. But uh, society has a nasty way, just in case you are in denial uh, and not the river in Egypt, uh, to bring it to you. It absolutely will.
2: It absolutely will. I I tell this little story about my grandmother in Bridgeport. And uh, I've heard a lot of Bridgeport stories because I live right there at 35th and Princeton. That's where I grew up, right on the other side of the tracks. And uh, so there was some running back and forth and chasing. And not that black people didn't attack white people on the other side of that bridge, because they did. But um, she wanted to go over there to the AMP. And I probably had been over the AMP more than one time. But as she was preparing to go, she was saying, you have to be careful over there. You can't trust those white people over there. But I'm going over there to get me some coffee. So even though she didn't feel safe, she didn't trust him. She wanted to go over there, and she went. She wanted some coffee. We got on the bus. We rode over there. And in doing this, she went over there, and she grinned, and she said, hello, how you doing, and curtsies, And, and she was being facetious. And I, and I and I can remember, I'm looking at her and, say, and that's the, I'm thinking to myself, well, what are you doing? You know? She was grinning and laughing and smiling and being facetious as she was doing this, but she was poking fun at him as she was doing this. Uh, she was smiling and she wasn't meaning it. She was playing with him and see, I'm safe. I'm, you know, uh, I'm not a problem. I'm, I'm, I'm a good, I'm a good black person. I went over there and got her coffee and everything. And it's strange that when I wrote this book, um, I told my mother that my first story, what my my first question was, and uh, that was her mother that I went over to Bridgeport with. And I'm going to tell you what she told me. She said, they used to walk. She said, you must have been riding the bus. I said, yeah, I was. She said, well, we used to walk over to Bridgeport. So obviously my grandmother had been walking a long time and not trusting trusted people, but she had been going on about a business over there because she wanted to go. But when she would take them over there, they would take knives with them just in case a white person touch him, she told him to cut him. Now this is this is another Bridgeport story and there are a lot of different stories and as and as this story and as this go on, probably from both sides of the track, we will hear different stories about and I and I use Bridgeport. Uh you're listening to Black America asking ourselves the tough question. Uh and I'm you, Purdue I use Bridgeport as an example because that's where I live, and that's what I'm familiar with in in uh, Maryland or in Mississippi or in New York or in California. There will be different areas that have will have simple, different stories on who lives on one side of the track and on the other. And it may, in a lot of those places, be different stories as to class, who lived, the poor people on one side, the middle income ritual on the other side and be stories about class. but that's why this uh, this first story is interesting, and the three scenarios are interesting because it will provoke probably more questions as we're, as we're doing right now than it will provide answers, but we need to have the discussions uh, I do hope. I, you know, I, and I will answer this, that unlike you, I don't feel insecure in, in America. And it might be, Hussein, because I don't look at the news and I do not read the newspaper. Therefore, I could be uh, living in a fantasy world and not know I'm in danger, and I may be. I just really don't feel like it because I did grow up in the projects, too, and I had no fear of that. Uh, Whereas I have, I'll give an example of one friend I have who's lived on the north side. She came from the south, Alabama, in the 60s when she was uh, 17, and she has never lived on the south side. She has always lived on the north side. She lives up on Huron now, always lived on the north side. Now, she's afraid of the south side. She doesn't want to come over here. She she came to um, 33rd and King Drive. Uh, like a month or so ago, because I work on 35th King Drive, to a jewel over here to buy neck bones. <laughs> I said, you came over here? She said, yeah. I said, don't sell neck bones up there? She said, no. <laughs> so obviously, like my grandmother, different, <laughs> different year, different time, she wanted something. So even though she's afraid of the South Side or the people on the South Side, She got on the bus, came on up to 33rd and King Drive, went over to the Jewel, got her neck bones and ham hocks or something, and went on back and cooked her beans. But um, that's just question number one. And uh, as we go along – who's saying, I know you'll be calling in again, <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll have this discussion. And hopefully, you're the only person on the line right now, but hopefully we have we have a couple of people in the chat room they are listening. What I want to do uh, right now, I'm going to pay the question one more time and just see if they want to call in, but uh, it does provoke more questions. None I mean, of I'm these are going to be
3: – I just want to clarify my answer. Uh, go ahead. You should be afraid. Well, you know, that's a different – Concepts of being afraid. Try not to be afraid anytime time about anything, but you should be cognizant of the possible dangers that exist any time you are just alive. Whether it's in your, <clears throat> whether it's in your own home, at work, North Side, South Side, East Side, West Side doesn't make, make any difference because. Um, Because there are forces out there. Uh, If you want to call it evil, you can call it evil. Uh, Darkness, negativity, whatever. Uh, That means humanity no good. And you could be in the crosshairs or crossfire of one of those forces anywhere. I
2: understand. Let me take one moment. Don't go away. And I'm going to play the tough question one more time and see if we get a, a few more callers out of our chat room. And uh, I'll come back and close out the show with you. Hold on. Thank you for calling, Hussein.
3: All right, my
2: pleasure. You're listening to Black America, Asking Ourselves the Tough Questions. I'm Sonia Perdue, author. And uh, this is our first show, and we want to thank you for listening, but we sure would appreciate it. If you'll call in, our will number is 347-326-9477 to answer the tough questions. I'm going to uh, play tough question number one again, and uh, I'm going to go back and close tough out the question show. question number one. Imagine that you are a black man, and the year is 1955. You're walking down the street in a community known as Bridgeport in Chicago, and four white men pull up beside you in a Chevy. Are you afraid? Imagine the year is 1964, and you are a young black man driving down a dark road on your way to Meridian, Mississippi with two Jewish associates when you see the bright lights of a car in your rearview mirror. Then you see a flashing red light and know that it is a police vehicle. Do you feel safe or are you forever regretful? Imagine as a black man in the year 2010, you're driving through Chicago's Englewood community and you quite appropriately stop at a stop sign. Before you can pull off, four black men pull up next to your car. Are you scared? Where do you as a black American feel safe? Where do you feel threatened? Why are we still afraid? Haven't we been afraid long enough? And that is tough question number one. Now, I did – welcome back to the show. Now, I did read an email from the Black Star Project, and it was indicating uh, this total number of children have been murdered in Chicago or massacred, really, in Chicago, and where are the angry mothers um, Where are they that's I don't know if that's a tough question or not. if child after child after child is dying um, where are the angry mothers? I'm not sure that that is a tough question uh, um, and not yes. just
3: this year. Let me ask you a question. Why did – I, I I've, I've had the pleasure of interviewing uh, Philip Jackson on my show. Um, why didn't he say where are the – and I, I, I'm, this is a trick question because I know the answer to it. Um, why didn't he say well, where are the angry parents? Why did he say where are the angry mothers? Okay. you have to the ask them, to them that. No, no, Sonya, you know the answer to it. Keep it real now. The answer to it is that unfortunately we have too many households, we could pick the number 70%, of an African-American populace of people being raised by single-parent mothers. That's the bottom line. Well, I don't know if that's the whole bottom line because
1: in our case... Well, that's, the, that's, the the-
3: that's the bottom line, the reason why you said why aren't they angry mothers because it's the, the normal thing to ask would be why aren't they angry parents? Well, well, let me put that question out again. Where are the angry mothers?
2: Because if we look at the increased uh, number of grandparents raising their children,
3: right. the
2: question would be, where are the angry mothers? If that was the last uh, holdout right there, and the mothers are even disappearing, uh, where are they? Where, no, not even where are the angry mothers. Where are the mothers, Period to these children who their mothers and fathers are raising. Where are they? Where are they? They're, they're out there. What are they doing? Because they're not raising their children. What are they doing? Now, I've heard women say as though that was um, okay. when well, my daughter's staying with my mother. That is not okay. That is not where they're supposed to be. Well, they're with my aunt, so I guess that we, I guess that's a, re, a release of guilt and responsibility at the same time. Uh, I don't think it's, and maybe I'm wrong that they say, "Well, they're being taken care
3: of," but they're not being taken care of by you. Uh, and you, that, that, that brings whole, the, that brings that brings this whole thing full circle to question number three. Because see, back in '55, and in the '60s. That wasn't the case. And within our culture, within our you know, ethnic culture, you know, we didn't have all these grandparents raising children. You had mothers and fathers. When you lived on the block, it was a rare thing that there, there wasn't a mother and father in each house. Father might have It was had. a
2: stigmatism. Well, it, it starting in the 50s, it started being less and less of a stigmatism right. for a woman. To be without a husband and out there raising her child by herself uh and it got looser and looser after that, but uh people were trying to avoid that even in in my age group uh in the seventies well I went to Limbaugh, and in my age group, we were trying to avoid we were trying to avoid that that was still a stigmatism mm-hmm. that uh you're gonna be a pregnant uh teenager. If they got pregnant, they left Lindblom. Right. Um, when I graduated in 1973, there was one girl pregnant. I just never forget it because it was like, she pregnant? you know anybody, she pregnant? And walking down, getting her cap and gown. If they, if anybody else was pregnant, we sure didn't know that. And uh, that was as late as 1973 because if they got pregnant, they probably left school. They probably left Lindblom uh... because that's just not what was going on over there okay then 1973 that was Roe versus Wade and then uh... we know what happened after that but uh... who said I want to thank you uh... for being my guest on my first show I'm gonna play it a thousand times because I uh... I was very excited about this show and I'm and, I'm very excited about the book just getting started um... and uh... still very excited I can relate to the scenario. I read the Audacity of Hope, and I was relating it to a young lady who works in our office yesterday, because we were talking about some other things. Where I I didn't read Audacity of Hope by Barack Obama, by a president. I listened to it because I just wanted, you know, listen to him and hear him read it. And the one thing that stands out most in my mind is that, and and I always think about it because I don't get easily discouraged anyway. I always keep pushing forth because I know I pretty much know where I'm going. And uh, that when he started his campaign for the Senate, he gave press conferences and no one showed up. And uh, I always keep that in mind. But you showed up, and I'm very appreciative, and I do have a few people in the chat line. Uh, One of them left, a couple of more there, and one of them may be you. But I am very appreciative, for, for me that makes it a great show. It makes it step one. We are going to put up our website. Uh, that's my next step, and the website will be asking ourselves the tough questions. But for more information, to request an interview, to set up a book signing, or to invite me to your show or your discussion group, you can just give me a call at 312-239-8835, 312-239-8835, or you can email me on this site, on the blog top site. Uh, you can also email me at the tough questions at gmail.com. That's the tough questions at gmail.com. And of course, after listening to the first question, I'm quite sure you would like to purchase the book, which is on Amazon. You can do a search for my name, Sonia. That's Sonia J-A, Purdue. And, uh, do a search for Black America, the tough questions. It's also in Kindle. And, uh, we look forward, we look forward to continuing these dialogues. I hope to, uh, I hope to do some library signings. I've been invited to one uh, book club, so it's a whole new experience. I encourage anyone to have it. It's my first book. You can do your first book.
0: It's
2: it's doable. It's all doable. I'm very excited about it. Hussein, I want to thank you. And in closing, as I always say, persistence is the act of continually pursuing something in spite of obstacles. And I'm going to repeat that. Persistence is the act of continually pursuing something in spite of obstacles. I am proof proof of that. Everyone, you have a great evening, Hussein. Thank you for joining me. I appreciate you. See you on the next go round.
3: My pleasure.
2: Have a good one. Good
1: night. It's a people problem.
0: That's you, people, and me. It's so easy.
1: But we could solve this confusion if we tried instead of shooting. Plus, there's no excuse when we have mouths that could use them for apologizing and acknowledging fault instead of falsely accusing. Making threats, shouting, and verbally abusing. You see, we could blame race because it's easy and it's legal, but the one common denominator, people, is people. People! person's heart beating. that heart becomes something that you want to take care of and this is what we're lacking the problem is not money or the lack thereof the problem is people doing evil things to get it and evil things with it humility has totally left us the reason i'm here is to help you Help me, help us. It's a people I'm problem. If you
0: open your eyes, the problem is people. that
1: you Dob- and me. The nah. problem is people. that you and me. And I'm you, in their position, they plot, they practice illegal tactics, they play a game of pretend, and the problem is not time, they have plenty of that to spend, the problem is people want a deal, it's a people world. acknowledging the soul.